0: Welcome guys and gals to The Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Today, we are definitely diving deep into the leadership, into the business, uh, into the life and, the, and the, the, the sort of personal side of things with Mr. Shear Near, which is a really cool name, uh, but Shear brings more than 20 years of experience working with executives, teams and organizations to increase performance and create organizational, personal and financial growth. Uh, Throughout his career, he has focused on working with senior executives to expose and enhance their innate abilities to lead more effectively. Uh, He also combines his wide business experience in industries such as energy, engineering, chemical, petroleum, manufacturing, retail, financial, consulting, and and service with the Handle Method, which is the organization that uh, he is the CEO of. Uh, to enable executives and organizations to fulfill their goals and objectives. He's currently advising several executive teams and senior leaders on topics such as building honest cultures, enhancing organizational success, uh, organizational alignment, leadership development, mergers and ac- acquisitions <laughs> not accusations, strategy, and talent management development. So Clearly, uh, Shear has a really incredible background. Um, and we're actually going to talk and, and focus really more on reprogramming your inner critic on this specific topic. And uh, shear has a, a really incredible outlook and methodology that he uses when he works with people and he he takes that leadership approach and and rather than us looking at a you know a specific business case study or anything like that we're gonna dive deep into how you as a leader at work or an entrepreneur or a father, husband, mother, daughter, brother, whatever whatever your title is. Um, whatever your title is and, and perceive your title to be, we're going to look at how you can reprogram your inner critic. And so we're going to talk about the human operating system. Uh, we're going to talk about giving you some specific tools on, on how to identify and address the inner critic and how to start to shift some of that behavior. And uh, Sheer has some really incredible stories and some great tools and insight on how to actually go about doing this. So, before I bring Sheer on, just uh, some quick housekeeping. Don't forget to head on over to the Facebook uh, community. You can join the Man Talks community. There's almost four thousand guys on there from around the world. Amazing, amazing, amazing community. Uh, and uh, you can stay up to date with all of the upcoming events in different cities. Uh, We've actually got an event on October 29th in Toronto, and it's going to be all about uh, the modern masculinity. So that's going to be a great, great, great conversation. Uh, We're going to have Uh, Saks, the underwear company actually representing uh, at that event, like we did in Vancouver recently. So if you buy a ticket and join the event, you will actually get a free pair of underwear just for joining and they are Comfortable. I wear them all the time. Um, so in in the meantime, definitely head on over to mantalks.com forward slash the dash alliance. Uh, check out the alliance. We've got some great things coming. And if you have been considering joining a top-notch group of men who are all working towards better self-awareness, uh, high performance, getting better results in their relationship, in their business. Uh, and just in their life in general, it is definitely a group that you will want to check out and potentially join. So uh, apply now because we are going to start up a new group in November. So that's it. Without any further delay, I hope you enjoy this interview. Let me know what you think uh, because it's a really, really powerful one. Uh, Please welcome Mr. Sheer Neer.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's wonderful to have you on here today. So uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of everything. I think we're going to talk about uh, you know some some leadership concepts. Uh, we're going to talk about integrity, which which uh, it's, you know you have a uh, the personal integrity and accountability model, which we're definitely going to get into here later on. Um, but first and foremost, I have to ask you the question, which our audience loves, which is tell us a story about a defining moment that made you who you are today.
1: Okay. You know, there's uh, Connor, there's a lot of different defining moments that made me who I am today, uh, you know, leaving my country, Israel, and coming to the United States and and a lot of those. But the one I would love to uh, share about today would be uh, uh, a moment that I had about six, seven years ago. And I was uh, one of the top executives here at the Handel Group, uh, which I'm the CEO of. And uh, at that time, I... Uh, I it was kind of like in the middle of my career, and I always in my career have been a very, very successful business development and sales guy. In most organizations that I uh, I worked at, I usually was one of the top, if not the top salesperson. But for some reason, throughout my career, I wasn't completely uh, impressed with my own or, or satisfied with my own performance, although I was... Always at the top of the sales uh, organization, and uh, I had an, a, an, an event. I had an, a uh, something that happened to me with a client, where a client got upset with me and uh, hurt by something that I have done, and I couldn't understand what why they got hurt because, you know, I was completely honest and I thought I was caring and I was making. J- fun and jokes but the end result was that the client actually called my partner uh and complained about my own my behavior and my partner called me and said was devastated about the client complaint and i was had an opportunity to at that point to either defend myself and say you know i'm right she was the client was wrong and or really st- See something about myself that would make a huge impact for me, and the the thing I got to see is that I was a pretty aggressive, careless Israeli executive uh, i 'm come from Israel originally, so uh, it comes with a certain uh, behavior and patterns and not and Israelis are very tough and very direct but they don't care a little bit about what they cause when they are being direct. And I was exactly that. And although I was, I was more caring to a certain degree, I wasn't as caring as I wanted to be. And uh, at that moment, really, once I saw that I offended that client and how hurt she got, uh, I made a, a decision and it was really a moment of uh, seeing myself and seeing my behaviors and seeing my patterns and my traits, and saying, F that, right? I could maybe be different. And I decided that from that moment on, I will lead with love instead of lead with high intentions. I would lead with love, and I will actually do the work to have people I deal with feel my love, feel my care. And I created certain promises and consequences for myself, which is part of the Handel method, and really uh, had my partners hold me accountable for them. And in that year, I totally, totally changed my leadership style. I changed it from being intentional and hard-nosed and straight and direct to being honest but caring and loving. I made sure that everything that I uh, led forward had an, a, an, an increase in loving and caring and taking care of the people that I was dealing with, and it caused a dramatic, I say dramatic increase in my ability to close deals. That year, I doubled my sales, doubled my sales, and all I did was change how I I dealt with people and changed how I was with people. And from that moment on, I knew that actually that when you lead with love, when you uh, connect with people uh, authentically and lovingly, the results you're going to produce are unimaginable. And, you know, when I deal with clients, when I coach clients, clients i always always tell them the story and i always always have them look at the way they lead and the way they interact with people and see if they can cause a transformation and the way they do that
0: wonderful yeah i mean i, I think it's 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 interesting right because i uh, oftentimes you know what has got you to where you are might not get you to where you want to go in, in terms of growth development and and this isn't i don't mean you i mean the general you as an us uh, oftentimes, yes. oftentimes what gives us good results won't lead us to great results. So I, I like what you're talking about, because one of the things that you're saying really is about the integration of the vehicle of communication that's almost more along the lines of of speaking an emotional language. You know, when you say that you are leading with love, I'm assuming that's around, you know, being able to be compassionate and empathetic. And so I'm yeah. I'm curious as to what were some of the you know, parts that you integrated and how did you shift your communication or your interactions with people to include that love? Because I think that's a, a very important conversation that needs to be had, especially right now.
1: So um there's there's several things that I integrate into uh you know changing and leading with love versus changing and leading with intention. And a lot of the time, you know, people will Will argue that's the same thing, but I don't think it's the same thing, right? When you when you lead with intention, which is a very important part, and the intention is I'm here to produce business, I'm here to change the way you work, I'm here to increase your performance, uh, the intention takes precedent and everything else takes second seat. Uh, when you lead with love, love takes precedent, and everything else takes in a certain a, sec, uh, a second seat. Now, it's very hard for people because you know I'm here to really create profitability and revenues and livelihood to my people and my company, right? And to believe that love will actually be much stronger than intentions is very hard, very hard, specifically to people that don't grow up with that love is what creates everything, right? When you, when you transform something like that, you make love the intention, which another way to say it is if my intention was to get you to set, to buy my product, my service, or whatever I sell or whatever I promote I will have certain conversation. If my conversation is going to be all about you and I connecting well and you feeling my love and support and then whatever happens, happens, it's a totally different conversation. Because in, in the first conversation, I will make sure that you understand what I do completely. I will make sure that you understand the value of my offer completely. I will make sure that you understand how one goes with another completely. In the second conversation, it won't matter. The only thing I want to make sure is that you understand that I'm here for you, no matter what. And that the rest of it will come naturally. Mm. And that is a much better sales or much better offer than the first one
0: mm-hmm. yeah it, it, it's uh, i definitely i mean i, I agree 100 percent because i've seen that in action i think the challenge that that oftentimes people have is that it's it's also simultaneously a little bit more ambiguous so mm-hmm. <laughs> so how do you how do you not train people but how maybe how did you personally start to integrate um this methodology within yourself and be able to com- communicate that to your clients to your prospects to your family and friends and colleagues in such a way that it helped them understand the value in it because because it is a, a more ambiguous methodology.
1: Yeah, so the first thing I did Connor was to stop focusing on my offers as the main goal in the conversation. Because if if I if I focus on my intention, I focus on what can I do or what do I what do I provide? and why do you and what how how do i get you to understand what i provide right so the first thing i moved it from no what does what do you what are where are you what are you interested what do you want to talk about what do you care about and what would make you have a great conversation with me what at the end of this conversation what would you say what would make you say that was a good conversation right so the first is I'm going to focus on you versus focus on my on my offerings. The second thing is I really let let the client or the other part really lead the conversation, and I was I was caring the conversation that they led, which means I focused more on them than on the offers that I made. Right. The third I had I had to thing I had to do is I had to trust, and this is the the hardest part. I had to trust that the right things are going to show up at the right time and that the right context would lead me to have the right content in the conversation. Mm. Which means that if you care about the nuts and bolts, that uh, then then I will get to talk about the nuts and, nuts and bolts. If you care cared about the context, I only have to talk about the context. I don't have to talk about the nuts and bolts. If you only cared about having somebody who listened to you, I will provide. I will be able to provide that listening that got you to say, "I want to work with that guy." So, although most of my conversation previous to that decision and that realization was were, were about here's what I can provide and here's why and here's what you need to do that, the the after that realization, what I came, I was, I came in and I just. I was. I didn't have any agenda. My only agenda was to connect to, to you and listen to you and provide what's necessary. And every conversation that I had since then has been a different conversation because every person needs something different and every person likes something different and every person gets connected to something different. If I continue to provide that, my rate of closure, the rate of closure that I had went high, went up because I connected to more people and I provided what they needed in the moment. So one conversation uh, had to, was about how do I do, but the other conversation was only, only about uh, taking care of the client and dealing with what they had to deal with and showing the client that I can help them and help them walk through whatever uh, situation they were, and come up at the at the end winning, right? So it really is a changing of focus from me f- from me to them, and trusting that that focus will actually prevail, and trusting that if it doesn't, it did it wasn't meant to be. So if somebody said no. It's the right no. If somebody said yes, it's the right yes, and I need to trust that.
0: Mm, yeah, I I like that. I mean, it, it sort of it allows for more of a a state of flow. It sounds like to unfold, and it also puts the emphasis on the the currency of human connection over the emphasis of a product or a service or a specific outcome or a specific ROI within a conversation. And I think that, that that really shifts the dynamic of what's possible within the conversation. Because then rather rather than going into the conversation of, I need to have this, I need to present this ROI, or I need to have this specific outcome happen, the 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 intention like you're talking about within the conversation shifts to how do I create connection? How do I actually leverage the currency of human connection? What does it actually look like? So, One of the things that comes up for me immediately and one of the things that I know that you talk about quite a bit is in and around uh, the human operating system. And I would imagine that there are some deep rooted programs depending on, you know, probably the culture that people have grown up in or the theology that they've been taught or, um, you know, just their sort of personality, their family structures there's, there's probably a deep-rooted human operating system that plays into this, uh, you know, this, this shift. So how do people start to – well, first off, how do you define the human operating system before I sort of go down the rabbit hole with this? And, and what do people need to know about it?
1: Okay, so great question. So w- the way I define it is, Connor, is that, that, that as a human being, as human beings, we have an operating system we have a very, very powerful computer in our head, which is pow- more powerful than any other computer in the world. And that computer is an operating system. And that operating system is designed and is producing the current results we have as human beings. It's like your, your computer or your phone, they have an operating system and they produce exactly the results that they are designed to produce that operating system cannot produce less or more or any different results. It's what it's designed for. So, and if, so if you want to upgrade results, another way to say it, if you want to be more loving, if you want to produce more sales, if you want to connect to more people, if you want to run faster, if you want to do anything different or better or stronger or faster than you're doing now, you need to upgrade the operating system. You cannot do it with the current operating system. So I'll give you an example. If I want to run faster than I run now, I used to be an Ironman triathlete. I did two full Ironman, about nine half Ironman, including half Ironman World Championship, and many, many other uh, triathlons. And one day I decided that I'm going to make the half Ironman World Championship. So at the current at the current level of my triathlon i was not going to make the the world championship therefore i needed to upgrade my shape i needed to run faster i needed to swim faster i needed to bike faster i needed to be in way more shape and i needed to carry through you know uh a uh, 50, 56 mile bike 1.2 miles swim and half a marathon. Okay, all together, and that year I tied myself to uh, a, a, a two guys, a woman and a man, my who were my age, who lived in the town I was living in, and I said, "Whatever you do, I do." Uh, she was uh, she was an Ironman World Championship world champion. He was a very very uh, good athlete, way faster than me and i did all my training with them and by the time the qualification race came i qualified immediately to participate in world championship another way to say it i have upgraded my physical operating system to allow me to make it into world championship this is true about our physical our emotional and our spiritual uh constructs okay so our operating system the human being operating system is basically the intersection between our conscious and our subconscious construct on physical, emotional, and spiritual level. Physical meaning the physical aspect of it, you know, my height, my weight, uh, my shape, my abilities, my capabilities, and my my how I'm built, emotional is how I feel, or another way to say it is how I relate to things. How I feel about things is my relationship to them. So how I feel about myself is my relationship to myself. How I feel about you is my relationship to you. So our emotional construct or emotional integrity, as we say in the in Hendel group, is has to do with our relationship to everything in the world and our spiritual integrity a spiritual integrity has to do with how we think our thoughts and our thoughts come from two two main sources our beliefs and our theories and those beliefs and theories are uh, cr- we created throughout our lives through experiences so in your life as a Since you're a baby, you have experiences. Those experiences uh, happen to you, and based on those experiences, you make decisions and you create beliefs and theories Then, then you are now designed to prove. Those beliefs and theories impact how you think and your spiritual integrity, how you think about everything. So your operating system, basically, is for a human being, is the intersection between your is spiritual emotional and physical conscious construct and subconscious construct ninety five of them ninety five percent of your of your operating system is subconscious you don't even know what you're doing you don't even know you're making decisions you don't it's embodied in your body and it's your it's underneath the surface you're not conscious of them and five percent of it you're conscious so if you take the human operating system it's, it exists on a physical, emotional, and spiritual levels, right? And inter- intersection between those, between your conscious and your subconscious constructs. Now, if you want to, if you want to upgrade the operating system, you can't upgrade through your subconscious. You need to make everything conscious. So the minute I got aware of the fact that I am, that my intensity and my honesty and my uh, toughness actually hurts people. that behavior became conscious, and the beginning it becomes conscious, I can now upgrade it because I can make a decision or I can create a a structure for myself to consciously not behave that way, and by doing that, I upgrade my operating system both consciously and subconsciously because the subconscious start behaving according to the decision i just made not according to the old the way it was behaving before the way to upgrade your operating system is always through the through conscious decisions
0: mm, so when we're faced with moments of hardship and we can start to see the outdated Old past patterning, or you know, the, the the subconscious mind sort of at play, and and we become aware of it in a in a conscious space. Then it's in that yeah. moment where you know, a perfect example is procrastination, right? I, I hear a lot of people complain yeah. about procrastination, and they they usually have routines and rituals of procrastination. So when you right. when you look at, let's say, your routine of procrastination is to uh oh i don't know open up youtube and and watch a video or go on instagram or facebook or whatever it is when you catch yourself doing that it would be to consciously interrupt the pattern and to choose to do something different
1: yes so you could do it in, you can and you can do it in different ways okay so in one way to do it is to make a promise to not watch youtube and you make that promise to somebody else not to yourself because you're not canonable mm. So you have to have somebody hold you accountable. So for instance, my brother-in-law, uh, who is uh, the husband of my partner and, and, and sister-in-law, have actually, in the last couple, week, I identified that he actually engaged in too much, social media, too much social media, which take him off the actual action he wants to take. Uh, he runs a business, he has a, Of a successful uh, furniture um, making shop and he uh, creates furniture for very, very fancy houses, uh, including uh, kitchens and so forth. And doing like engaging in too too much social media takes him off his focusing on his business. So he made a promise to his wife and to me and to uh, my wife and, uh, in a car when we were in a car, that he will not engage in in any social media, right? Because it really take him off purpose. That's a conscious decision to stop doing one thing, like watching YouTube and procrastinating, and focusing on what is important for you, right? So uh, making a promise, making it to somebody else to hold you accountable, and the last thing we add to it is actually have a consequence. And the consequence comes to kind of help you keep your promises. So a consequence is something we use to deter you from not keeping your promise. A consequence usually is something, uh, is getting you to do something you don't like to do, or stopping you from doing something you like to do. So for instance, if you make a, if you like a glass of wine at the end of the day, and you say, if I don't do X, Y, Z, or if I do X, Y, Z, I will, I cannot drink my glass of wine at the end of the day, you will think twice whether you want to keep your promise or not, because you like that wine at the end of the day. Make sense? Mm-hmm. So the first thing to do is when you actually become aware of a behavior that you want to change is become aware of it create a new behavior make a promise to somebody who who holds you accountable and create a consequence that if you can't keep your promise you have to pay your consequence if you do that in every aspect of that you want to change in your life the likelihood is that you're going to change it so that's one way to deal mm-hmm. with it
0: yeah i mean i was going i was going to say I, I feel like some of what you're talking about right now is is not only applicable for you know, a, a behavioral change when it when it comes to entering into a conversation with uh, you know with with our intimate partners or with our business partners or with clients, um, but also you know in, in terms of being able to uh, almost like being able to address negative inner dialogue, you know. I, and, and I'm curious yes. because you know, we we all have, and it's interesting, right? Because we all have this. Echo chamber happening within our within our mind and this inner dialogue that a lot of people have can oftentimes be incredibly negative, you know, and nobody else is privy to it, right? Nobody is privy to the, yeah. the self deprecation and 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 sort of verbal abuse that we put ourselves through. So yeah. how how do we use this tool that you're talking about in order to rewrite some of the programming and, and coding around our negative inner dialogue?
1: Excellent question. So. Um, Just to talk a little bit about our inner dialogue is the thing that runs us, right? There's nothing, nothing happens to us and we don't do anything that doesn't transfer through our inner dialogue. Our inner dialogue is our only boss. We have no other bosses other than our inner dialogue. We do exactly what our inner dialogue tells us to do. We don't do anything that our inner dialogue doesn't tell us to do. And we do it exactly in the way the inner dialogue tells us to do. So it's kind of... I was going to say,
0: it's kind of like the the boss at the uh, very end of the video game. You know, like the final boss that you have to face.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's the boss. Okay. The problem with our inner dialogue are several. One, it's mostly negative. Mostly negative. There's a guy named David Hawkins. He wrote a book called Power Versus Force and david hawkins mentioned that that on an average 80% of our inner dialogue is survival it's designed to get us to survive it's designed to keep us away from the lion when we drink water in the lake right and it it's it's designed to protect us so it's always looking for threats so 80% of every human being's inner dialogue is mostly survival based and negative, okay? So only 20% is positive and is, is, is designed to get us to succeed and to dream and to take us to, uh, to where we want to go. Um, so that's one problem we have, it's mostly negative. The second part of the inner the, you know, dialogue that we have is it's mostly subconscious. You only hear a very small part of it. So there's a, there's a, a, a professor in, uh, in uh, UVA, his name is uh, Timothy Wilson. Timothy Wilson wrote a book called Strangers to Ourself, one of his books. And uh, in the book Strangers to Ourself, Timothy Wilson says that your brains takes in 11 million points of data every given second. Now, 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 now. But your subconscious can only deal with 40 points of data every second, which means that most of the input you take and most of the decision you make in your life, you can't even hear, you don't even know you're making. It, they're subconscious, automatic decisions. They're subconscious inner dialogue going in your head consistently. Now we have a problem. A big thing called inner dialogue, right, is running everything we do, and is responsible for all the results on, that we have in our lives, and we have no control of it, right? So how do you deal with it? And again, it's mostly negative. So how do you deal with that negative inner dialogue? As you ask, well, the first thing you need to start hear it. You need to be aware of it. You need to see how it works you need to see the decision it makes and if you are not observing yourself and you not you don't see yourself in action and you don't understand that every action is 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 connected directly to a thought you had right and therefore if you check if you look at your action you can you can assume you're in a dialogue in other words to say it if you're decide to uh, you watch YouTube instead of uh do your work or if you uh talk negatively about a person because you got offended by by them or if you're upset or if you're annoyed or anything like that, right there's a inner dialogue that actually is consistent with that, and that inner dialogue will take you to take to take certain action and produce certain results. So how do you do it? Is you first become aware of it. I had a client a long, long time ago, who was a very successful, gorgeous, um, great family, great career, PhD, right? And I was working with her, and uh, I was having her track in a dialogue, and it really is most of her a dialogue was criticism she was really criticizing everybody and we start think about it we start talking about it we looked at it and we came up to the conclusion that the real why she was criticizing everybody was because she did not believe in herself and because she did not believe in herself she had to criticize everybody everybody else so she can survive right so the minute we watch that pattern and we watched what she was saying to herself all the time, we start creating different patterns of thinking. So once you become aware, right, you then need to alter the inner dialogue. So how do you alter inner dialogue? You actually force yourself to think differently. So what we did with her was two things. The first thing we did was she needed to find something cute about everybody she interacted with, right? So everyone she interacted with, instead of criticism, she's gonna find something cute about them, and if and sometimes even acknowledge that with them, if if it was it was uh, the relationship was appropriate. So that we did that first. So so by doing that, every interaction, her first coming into the interaction her first thing was like I need to find something cute about them and if you continuously, continuously, continuously say that to yourself you start finding things, something cute about everybody you're interacting with and you shift the pattern. The second thing we did because again she was not trust, she, she did not believe in herself We she had to send me a text every day by the end of the day with five things that that five um uh, proofs right, and evidence that she was awesome, and she did it for a year, so by doing those two things, we totally deprogrammed her we programmed programmed her to now every interaction with every human being, she always looked for something cute because she did it so for so long that now it become became a habit and she now really, really knows that she's awesome because she had to, for, for a year, she had to send me a text every day with five uh, evidence that she was awesome. Totally deprogrammed her, totally changed her life. Yeah. Make sense? No,
0: I, I like it because I think what you're talking about in, in a lot of ways is is really how we would go about rewriting code within... You know, a a broken down program or a broken down computer is that you you'd actually have to go in and and sort of restructure everything. And by actually refocusing someone's attention and awareness over and over and over and over and over, and over again, it starts to create this compounding effect where suddenly that's where that's where not only the conscious mind goes to, but from what I'm hearing from you, that's where the unconscious mind actually uh, will eventually start to automatically go.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's. It, so you you no I was going to say
0: it's it's interesting because I would imagine that at first the the, the caveat cuz I've gone I've gone through this myself probably about a decade ago but the the caveat is that the initial force that it takes is usually the challenge you know like that initial force of of getting a plane off the ground is usually the 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 great or or a rocket off the ground is usually the most force that it takes in order to get up into the atmosphere and and reprogramming and shifting our focus and our awareness uh and and shifting our mindset it's usually the very beginning that takes the most effort and energy is that would you agree with that or has that has that been different in your experience
1: no no absolutely the 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 hardest part is really the to to actually one is to see the pattern to understand that they're just patterns and they're not real okay and to then be brave enough and i mean brave enough brave enough to go change them and trust that the new patterns are going to be better for you because listen you know most of us are pretty successful in our lives right not all of us but most of us are pretty successful in our lives we we like our patterns we trust our patterns and even our if our per- patterns are not as good as we we, we, we like them to be, we like to, we, we can survive. Yeah, we, them, we know right? them. We learn how to survive. <laughs> yeah. We know them and we can survive. We know we're not going to die, right? Um, if you have somebody, for instance, that's what I said in the beginning, it's like, what do you mean? I need to stop being intentional. I need to become loving. I'm not going to sell anything, right? That's freaking scary. Like Like leading with your heart versus leading with your head. Although your head really is, is smart and successful and you made a lot of money with it, changing that pattern it's scary. And as people, we don't want to deal with that. We'd rather deal with the animal we know than the animal we don't.
0: Yeah, even even if that animal is, you know, biting at our ankles. <laughs> Absolutely. And and Absolutely. causing us and causing us a lot of pain. And yeah, you know, I, I really appreciate what you're saying because I think one of the biggest challenges that most people Face when it comes to to change, it's not that they don't know what the problem is. You know that the real issue is that, and, and it's not even that they don't know what to do about the problem. It's just that they are so comfortable with the existence and the way of being, and the thought patterns and the sort of internal abuse that they have experienced within themselves, or maybe even it was it was even caused by external abuse when they were growing up. But they're so used to that internal way of being that shifting it seems terrifying right a friend of mine a friend of mine uh mark roves always says you know you always know what you stand to lose but you never know what you stand to gain and i feel like part of this process that you're that you're talking about sheer really comes down to embracing the unknown in some way shape or form and starting to starting to really um Starting to really like love that that unknown unpredictability is that is that part of the equation?
1: It is part of the equation, Connor. Uh, the 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 key, you know, what are, are some of the main premises is that we believe that happy people produce happy results. Okay, and I may if if you get an individual to be happy, proud, and inspired of who they are, how they show up. In every aspect of their life, their results are gonna increase automatically. Right? And uh, th- and they're gonna and, and and there's a, there's, a, there's a there's a process that gets people to become happy, proud, and inspired. And it starts with really having a truth truth and and, and a hard conversation with yourself about what are my real dreams. And people don't want to deal with that first because um, at some point, uh, you know, at, at, at age 13 or 15, you stop getting connected to your dreams. You don't believe you can have your dreams anymore and you, become, you start becoming realistic, right? And somewhere at the age of 25 or def- definitely by the age of 35, you are no longer connected to any of your dreams in any substantial way. Okay. And you're just living the life that you're reacting to life. And the the truth in the matter is that we don't deal with anything else in that matter, right? So if I go, if I leave my house and get in my car, I know where I'm going. I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly how I'm going to get there, other than if I listen to Waze and Waze tell me where to get there. But I know exactly what kind of roads I'm going to take there. In our lives, we walk into our lives every day not knowing what our dreams are, not knowing how we're going to get there, and not knowing what we're going to do about that, which is a little crazy, right? So you, t- you have to take a leap of faith, but the first leap of faith you have to take is to really identify and tell the truth about your dreams. As people, we are afraid to tell the truth about our dreams because we don't want to get disappointed. But Again, the only way to achieve those dreams, the only way to achieve those results is actually to tell the truth about them. And if you start telling the truth about your dreams, right, and you start understanding that it's all up to you, we have a book called Maybe It's You, and you can sketch away the maybe. It's you all the time. (laughs) And if you understand that it's all up to you and that you really can cause and produce any dream and any result you want in your life if you set your mind to it. And if you are willing to doubt the way you do things now in order to get to the what you want, you will get there. That's the, the main work that I do with, with people and with organization is to questions, to question their structures, the emotional, physical, and spiritual structures. And to question their theories and their beliefs. I had a session today with a, with one of my clients, and it was you know a very successful uh, executive in a very in a very fast growing company. And one of the things that we were doing is we we're working on his. Um, he's very successful in business, but love life is not not that much, and mostly is because he's, his theories. About himself and about himself with love and with dating are keeping him off doing the things that he needs to do, and he was even arguing with me and i and I had him talk, and by having him talk, I showed him all these theories about a negative inner dialogue about himself and dating, and he and at some point he stopped laughing, and he said, "I got it." I got it. I have theories about me and not being good at that and here we go. Mm -hmm. I'm not good at that. I have theories about me being good in business and here we go. I'm extremely successful. Right? So the key is really to connect somebody to their real dreams and then to show them how they get in their own way from producing those dreams and how they're letting themselves be in the wrong games, right? The you know you know we talked a little bit before, and you know what one of our of, of, our, our fundamental beliefs is: as human beings, we always win. We always win in the games we're playing. Always win. The problem is we are not very clear about the games we're playing. But if you take a look at the results, you can actually understand the game. So if I'm If I am not successful in business, I am playing a game to prove that I'm not, that I cannot be successful in business. If I'm not successful in love, then I'm playing a game to prove that I'm not successful in love. If I am successful in love, then I'm playing a game to show that I am successful in love. As human beings, we subconsciously and consciously Create games, and we win at them and sometimes those are the wrong games, yeah, but we need to understand those, and we need to understand what's our dreams in order to create the right games
0: i uh, i I love it you know I, I think you're you're really I mean, first off, I love the name of your book, (laughs) maybe (laughs) you with the maybe scratched out. It's you, you know, like it's just it's so true. And I think the the challenge is it's both, uh, you know, it's a it's a catch 22. And I think that's the catch 22 of leadership. Really, in an essence, you sort of summarize the essence or the paradox of leadership is that when we really do realize that it's us then we're Mm -hmm. we're both responsible for the change and we're responsible for the current results that we're getting. And and so, you know, I'm curious as to how much of these pieces, I'm sure that some of these pieces play into, you know, the the personal integrity and accountability model that you have. And I want to touch on it because I think it's so important. Like most people are looking for a deeper sense of personal integrity and accountability. And so I would I would love for you to just maybe in a in a brief sense, um, define for the listeners what the personal integrity and accountability model is.
1: Okay, awesome. So uh, the personal accountability and integrity model is a model that we've created to actually demonstrate this entire method. Uh, so we started with, you know, happy people produce happy results. And what makes people happy, proud, and inspired is connection to their dreams. As people, the way we dream and the way we articulate dreams is in the form of results. And we there's a lot, a lot of results that as individuals, we are looking to produce. As individuals, we're not even good at articulating results, but we think from a result perspective, right? So a lot of, a lot of people, when we do this work with them, actually state results in a form of action, which is not the right way to do it. Results are results, you know, at the end of the result, if there's a result, you can see it, you can touch it, you can feel it. They're specific and measurable. And the and they end, they don't end in another. So as people, we think we are driven by results. The only thing, the only thing that produces that result are the actions we take. The actions we take is basically, you can further define it as what we do, what we don't do. And the most important aspect of action is how we take that action, not what we do and what we don't do, but how we do it because I can be i can I can have a conversation with you lovingly, uh, impatiently, aggressively, each one of them, even if I use the same words, will produce a different result as human beings, we are not very clear on how we do things okay so we're driven by results that the ultimate part the what leads to the result are the actions we take and the actions we take are hard to change because our actions the actions we take are our results too they're results of our inner dialogue we spoke about inner dialogue before our inner dialogue is our only boss it tells us what to do what's not to do and what and how to do it which leads us to all the results that we have another way to say it Every result we have is 100% consistent with our inner dialogue. Again, our inner dialogue is mostly negative, which means that even at 20% or 25% of positive inner dialogue, we are still very effective. So if we actually shift the inner dialogue by a small percentage, we're going to increase our success by a lot, right? And our inner dialogue is mostly subconscious. We mostly don't understand that. So if we want to change our action, we have to change our inner dialogue. But how do you do it if it's mostly subconscious? Well, our inner dialogue is a result of three main sources. Our traits that we get from our lineage, from our parents. Our beliefs and theories that we get from our experiences. Our traits, beliefs and theories work together in harmony to impact all of our inner dialogue all our actions, and all our results. So every result you have is tied to a belief, a theory, or a trait you have that causes that model to move forward, right? If you take the traits, your belief, and theories and you combine it with your inner dialogue, which is basically the media by which those three show up, you co- we call that your personal reality. Another way to say it, what's real for you Another way to say it is what you, how you see the world and how you interpret everything. Or another way to say it is your operating system. Your operating system impacts your behavior, impacts your results. If you want to change results, you have to change your operating system. You have to shift your reality. So the model is that, we, that traits, beliefs, and theories impact your inner dialogue impact your actions impact your results and therefore you need to work on who you are your traits your beliefs and theories understand those understand your dreams and start matching your reality with your dreams
0: I like it that's our model I like it I mean it's it's such a such a good such a good model and and, and very powerful when it comes to understanding you know the human experience and our psyche and 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 the integration of you know some of these components of our inner world and you know I, I always say that you can't change your inner landscape without the outer results changing too. It's just yeah. an impossibility. Yeah. And I think the, I think the cool thing is that what you're what you're really saying resonates because I think that in some ways you know in in sort of more religious spheres um, you know, this might be called karma, right? Or uh, you know, I believe that karma is is people attracting what they believe they deserve. And when, Absolutely. when we don't believe that we deserve something or or we do believe that we deserve something negative, we invariably attract those things because that's where all of our focus, energy, attention goes to. And like you said, 95% of that 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 attention is is an unconscious happening. And so, getting yeah. clear on some of these things is is incredibly important. So, um, yeah, I mean, a- absolutely amazing. So, um, just because we're almost you know wrapping up here for time, is there anything else that that the listeners should know specifically when it comes actually to to accountability, when it comes to creating shifts and, and change within their within their inner inner and outer world?
1: I would say the whole fact that you have to consider that it's you all the time. It really is, right? And although it's not very empowering at times, it's extremely empowering at other times. Because if you know it's you, you can do everything you want about it. If you don't believe that it's you, if you become a victim or what we call it, a weather reporter, you know, we have no power over it, then there's nothing you can do. You know, if it's them, in order for to change something, they need to change. And you have no say about it. If it's always me, then I can do anything I want. It's always me. Um, it's funny, you know, one uh, one of the best conversations I've ever created in my life, I created it for for my, with me and my family and then I took it to my tribe and then I took it, I'm now teaching it to my clients, which is a conversation called What Sucks About Me? Um, after Horik and Sandy, we sat in a, uh, Living room. We didn't have we didn't have uh, electricity yet, and the fireplace was working. And I we couldn't watch TV. We couldn't go on a computer. And I said to my my family, I I have an idea. Let's talk about what sucks about me. And I really created that conversation. I went first. My wife went second. My son went third. My daughter went fourth. And the conversation about really like how am I accountable for the results I don't want in my life how am i accountable for my own behavior it's a an amazing conversation in a because 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 you know you do things that don't work and the more you know about them and the more you can be accountable for them the more you can shift them and if you use other people to help you with that you're going to be the best leader in the world
0: I love it. I love it. I think that's the great, uh, a really great place to end. And, um, you know, it's, it really showcases uh, humble leadership, but also the ability to grow and learn. And I think leaders are not exempt from, you know, everything else in life, which is all about expansion and, and growth and developing ourselves. So listen, Cher, I really appreciate your time today. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on the show.
1: Uh, you, thank you for having me and uh, and and having a great conversation.
0: Thank you. Yeah, and for everybody that wants to go uh, check Shear out and his organization, uh, you can go to www.handlegroup.com. Uh, all the information is there. The link is in the show notes as well. Uh, Don't forget to minute forward, share this podcast episode with just one person goes a long way to getting us into the ears and uh, onto the phones of other people. Uh, Leave us a rating and review. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.